Hey folks, another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. President Trump continues to contest the results of the election. And last week, Trump put his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, in charge of all campaign lawsuits and communication efforts. Meanwhile, the Biden team is forging ahead with the transition process. Last Wednesday, Biden made his first staff appointment, naming Ron Klain as White House Chief of Staff. And Justice Sam Alito gave a highly political speech at the Federal Society Convention, where he criticized issues including COVID-19 restrictions and court packing. Anne Milgram and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. College students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student and sign up at a lower rate. Again, that's cafe.com slash student. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. So ordinarily, if Donald Trump were playing properly and seeing the handwriting on the wall, we would be talking about all the moves being made during transition. Obviously, the Biden team is doing some things, but they can't do all the things that they would otherwise be doing because the president refuses to concede and refuses to make available uh, resources, refuses to make available personnel on his team. The head of the GSA, Emily Murphy, refuses to make available funds and office space. So that's a pretty substantial problem. The one thing before we get to this sort of uh, impasse of transition, the one announcement made that is not surprising is our friend and former podcast guest, Ron Klain, has been named to be the chief of staff for the incoming president. Now, I don't know if you know this, but Ron Klain has been the chief of staff to every vice president going back to John Adams. Did you know that? <laughs> I did not know that. He <laughs> right, looks not, very Not young. all of them. Not all of them. But he, but he was chief of staff to Al Gore. He was chief of yep. staff to Vice President Biden. Uh, he was chief of staff to Janet Reno. He's basically a professional, super smart chief of staff, operational and legal expert. So I think right there, the nation should be, I don't want to put too much on Ron's considerable shoulders, but right there, people should be calm and understand we have a different kind of person coming in. If you, if you had a spectrum, and on one side of the spectrum, you had Ron Klain, basically at the other end of the spectrum, you would have Reince Priebus. Yes, I think that's right. The The thing I would say about Ron Klain, too, is that, I mean, he's an incredibly capable and smart person. He also oversaw the Ebola response. And so I think that's also going to be very helpful because he'll be able to advise the president. And he's sort of, he has more experience in this space than a lot of others do. And it just gave me a sense of real confidence. Let's start with this one issue of Joe Biden being able to get security briefings. You know, the president seems to have decided... I'm not going to read my president's daily brief, and I don't want anybody else to read it either. And it's just sort of petulant and childish and immature. And I think it's striking that even though most Republican senators refuse to call it for Biden out of you know fear of Trump's base or some other reason, on the issue of whether or not Biden should be receiving intelligence briefings, lots and lots of Republican senators are sort of breaking ranks with the president on that, which tells you how big a deal it is when usually they just sort of you know, march in lockstep. Ryan Goodman notes in a tweet that there's a clear bipartisan majority in the Senate saying that Biden should be getting intelligence briefings. They include Lindsey Graham, Chuck Grassley, Rob Portman, Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, Marco Rubio, James Lankford, John Thune, Pat Toomey, Mike Rounds, Ben Sass, John Cornyn, Ted Cruz. Some of these people are vocal supporters of the president. James Lankford said that if we get to a few days from now, 
he's going to step in. I think he's backed off on that. But when you have that group of senators on the Republican side who normally do whatever the president tells them to do and they keep their mouth shut and steer clear of the president's crazy tweeting, when they're all saying, for the safety and security of our country, Joe Biden should be getting intelligence briefings, that means something. Biden, by the way, has had to say, well, at least my running mate still sits on the intelligence committee, so she gets briefings. That should not be sufficient. I agree. Lankford, it, it was reported that he did talk to the GSA, which has refused to certify the election for Biden, even though in years past they have. They've done so. And, and right now, I mean, I think it's fair to describe all the existing litigation that the president has as either frivolous or litigation that even if it were successful, and there's absolutely zero reason to think that it would be, it, it will never impact the outcome of the election. So GSA should be should be giving that certification to the Biden campaign. But the bigger point, I think, is this. The president's daily brief and the COVID-19 brief are essential. And the idea that you would not give them to the president-elect when you have basically just a little over two months until he takes office and has to get up to speed and run the country on day one during what I would describe as like the greatest natural so sort of crisis in, in my lifetime in the United States government. It's just, I mean, people will die because of it and, and it's irresponsible. And so the president, President Trump, he, he can litigate all he wants. I mean, my view is, you know, fine, litigate, do, that's your right. You're an American citizen, like, you know, go to the courts, let the courts have their say. But you have to understand that there's no reason for the president-elect, who has now been granted in, in the current election standing, 306 electors, to not get that those briefings. And it really is, it looks like it's designed to make Biden fail. And no one, no American should want the next president of the United States to fail. And and frankly, look, I've I think you and I have both said repeatedly, like, we wanted President Trump to succeed on the coronavirus and to do a good job. I mean, I've, I've really been pulling for the country to have had a better response, and I continue to. And I think these kinds of things need to go beyond politics. But the idea that you wouldn't give him those briefings, and also just intelligence, so important for our national security. And so, you know, I think if anything does go wrong, this sits squarely in the president's lap right now, because it's it's just irresponsible at this point. And I, I take a very strong stand on this, because it's like, you know, it's one thing for the president to have his petulant moments and to sort of, you know, have this problem accepting reality. That's one thing. It's another thing to imperil the sort of government and the safety of the American public because of it. Look, it seems like the president doesn't work anymore. He golfs, he tweets, and he sulks, right? And I think a lot of people he, would like that job. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, at some point you need to meet the responsibility. And so separate from the issue of getting briefings on the coronavirus, we now have two credible, viable vaccines. And as everyone points out, a vaccine doesn't save anyone's life, a vaccination does. So these things have to be produced, they have to be distributed, they have to be administered. And you know that's a plan that requires a little bit of foresight and forethought. And for there to be no coordination between the incoming president and the president who currently is presiding, or at least supposed to be presiding, spells disaster for the efficient distribution of these vaccines. And what I don't get about Donald Trump, I guess he doesn't care about his legacy at all, if he can't remain in the White House, but his inaction and failure to coordinate over the next number of weeks is gonna be blamed, I think, credibly, come January 20th, when vaccinations are slow. It doesn't make any sense from, from that. All he does is claims credit for the vaccines because they seem to have been manufactured under his watch or while he was the president. 
And he's satisfied with just tweeting out that gloat as opposed to doing anything about it. We should take a moment and just, just I think, applaud the scientists that have created these two vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna, both of which are you know, reported to be more than 90% accurate. And and you're right, there's a long way to go. It's vaccinations that matter. But it's really, it's fantastic news. And I think really gives sort of both hope and a sense that, you know, we're getting through this and we will get through it and that there there is an end in sight. But yeah, I agree. And I think that the appeal to the president's desire to have a strong legacy it hasn't worked yet, but it feels to me that it might work down the road, that that there's a way in which at some point the president has to look around him or people around him have to look around and say, like, you know, this is now a mockery of what it needs to be. And there's just zero path and you have to you have to step aside. And that's, you know, that's for your own good, for your own legacy. So, Anne, here we are two-year anniversary. Yes. And I just want to say, I want to say a couple of words of thanks and express gratitude. I'm grateful to have the best co-host in the world. I'm grateful to have the best team, the cafe team in the world, and the best audience in the world. I mean, the folks who, who listen every week, who write in, who offer their questions, it's just, uh, to, to borrow a word, it's extraordinary, and it makes doing this gratifying. So I thank you. I thank you. And thanks to the great team and, and the listeners. It's been um, it's been such joy. And so I think, you know, for anyone who's hung in with us for the last two years and uh, this whole episode as well, we have a, a little bit of a treat. So, you know, we don't take ourselves seriously. We take the issue seriously. And God knows in two years, there have been a lot of serious issues, including issues of liberty and life and death. Um but you can't get through life unless you can laugh a little bit. And I'm fortunate enough to be doing this podcast with my dear friend with whom I've shared a lot of laughs and sometimes we get to share them with you. So as a reminder that even in terrible times, even in, in dark times, it's important to have a sense of humor. It's important to laugh. We have for you, what do you call it a montage if it's audio? I don't know. Is Clips? montage necessarily video? It's, like a, it's a highlight reel? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, we're gonna we're gonna go out with a audio audio montage of uh, <laughs> of some of the lighter moments over the last two years of the Cafe Insider. From Cafe, welcome to Cafe Insider. I'm Preet Bharara, and I'm Ann Milgram. Hi, Ann. Hi. Welcome to the first episode. It's great to be here. Preet, I have a very important question that Uh-oh. came to us. Where did you guys meet, and was it friendship at first sight? <laughs> <laughs> we met at a bar. That bar right near you the. You drank a lot. <laughs> Objection. <laughs> if I if I remember if I remember correctly, and here we are. That was 15 years ago. Let's call this the love section. What, the love section. <laughs> let's jazz it up a little. What did you think of Rod Rosenstein's love letter to Donald Trump, aka his resignation letter? So it was ludicrous in some ways, but I think the particular line that you're pointing to is you have it in front of you. I do. I am grateful to you for the opportunity to serve, for the courtesy and humor. <laughs> <laughs> you can make it through. You can make it through. <laughs> Don't be snitty. <laughs> Just try to, this is how difficult it is for a seasoned prosecutor and podcaster, <laughs> Ann Milgram, Esquire, cannot read a line from the resignation, the formal publicly released resignation letter by the, the Deputy Attorney General of the United States, she cannot read one of the lines 
I just, I can't look at you. <laughs> I'm grateful to you for the opportunity to serve, for the courtesy and humor you offer. <laughs> <laughs> You've never laughed this hard at any joke I've ever told you, and I've known you for 15 years. Let's take a hypothetical. Penguin is stolen out of the Central Park Zoo to use something. That's your hypothetical? <laughs> to use something. People are commuting home happen? from one. <laughs> no, the Central Park Zoo is going to be mad at me. <laughs> I use it all the time in my a, class. A penguin theft? No, I use it all the time in my class. Maybe the penguin hypothetical isn't the right no, fine. one. No, let's go with it. So one thing that happened this week is a journalist, Nicole Najafi, came out with what would it be like to go on a date, a first date with all the presidential candidates. So (laughs) this is what Nicole Najafi imagines a first date with Bernie Sanders would be like. He picks you up at your apartment and takes you on the subway to Gray's Papaya, (laughs) which is a famous New York hot dog restaurant for anyone who doesn't know. Um, And they basically sell hot dogs and papaya juice. Hot dog restaurant. I think restaurant may be overstating it. Definition. It's it's a a restaurant. What kind (laughs) of dates have you been on? (laughs) We're going to ask Nicole Najafi to do one about (laughs) Anne. Hey, welcome. Welcome to this bodega restaurant. For those of you who don't know outside of New York, Grace Papaya is a noted hot dog restaurant. It's it's a hot dog bistro of sorts. Is it like two dollars for a dog and a papaya juice or something? It'd be a dollar. Does not a restaurant make? Yeah, there's no there's no seating. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we might have a little bit of a laughing challenge from Schweinfurt, Germany. You ready? I'm I'm ready. <laughs> I'm so ready. two weeks ago, sixty people <laughs> were evacuated. I'm, you're so good at this. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing already. Are you on pins and needles? <laughs> well, but I know I know what you're going to say. I'm. You know where we're going. Uh, you're not surprising um, me, so I think it's funny already. So two weeks ago, sixty people were evacuated from a post office. Which, by the way, I don't know if you had the same reaction I did, but I was like. Why are people actually physically in post offices today? But, 60. But anyway. Well, say the, say 60, the, say the, can you say the name of the town again? Schweinfurt. Okay. In Germany. Um, <laughs> okay. So 60 people were evacuated from a post office there after the post office received a suspicious package that postal workers believed was emitting poisonous gas. So was this a this, – this was terrorism? People thought it was well, terrorism. Well, that's what they thought, right? right. So emer- immediately they, you know, they call emergency services. The smell was so bad that six of the postal workers were taken to the hospital and they were treated for nausea. There were six ambulances, five first responder cars, two emergency vehicles, and three different fire departments that all responded to the call. Then they do what they do in these cases. They think it could be it could be a bomb, it could be anything. They probably suited up in their hazmat gear. And then they opened the package. And when they opened it, they discovered that the odor was not coming from a gas Wait canister. Wait a minute. So it was not terrorism. That's why we're laughing. It like, was, obviously, we knew that it, it was wasn't. Not terrorism. <laughs> it was not terrorism. The source, the source of the smell was four Thai durian fruits sent as a gift to a 50-year-old Schweinfurt resident by his friend in Nuremberg. <laughs> Often referred to as the king of fruit, durian smell and taste divide opinion. <laughs> It is supposed to be the stinkiest fruit in the world. Um, I totally it's, would try it. It's funny it. how some people have described the durian fruit. For example, <laughs> if people want to get a sense of of what it tastes and smells like, food writer Richard Sterling apparently once described the odor <laughs> as, quote, turpentine and onions garnished with a gym sock. 
It's so evocative. And the late Anthony Bourdain, who we missed dearly, said that after eating a durian fruit, quote, <laughs> your, your, your breath will smell as if you'd been French kissing your dead grandmother. <laughs> Now, I just want to say, I'm some sorry. people love it. Some people love it. And some say its creamy texture is similar to that, quote, of a cheesecake with a hint of almonds. Whoa. It's very different. It's like, it's like I don't know. What what do they say? Like, one man's something is another man's <laughs> something else? I can't remember. One, I'm like, one man's gym sock is another man's durian fruit. Is another man's cheesecake. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> The end. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this sample of the Cafe Insider podcast. To listen to the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the Insider community, thank you for supporting our work.